Chapter Twenty Seven of Unleavened Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unleavened Bread by Robert Grant. Chapter Twenty Seven. Lyons was chosen governor by a large majority, as Elton had predicted. The Republican Party was worsted at the polls and driven out of power both at Washington and in the state. Lyons ran ahead of his ticket, receiving more votes than the presidential electors. The campaign was full of incidents grateful to Selma's self-esteem. Chief among these was the conspicuous allusions accorded her by the newspapers. The campaign itself was a fervid repetition of the stirring scenes of two years previous. Once more, torchlight in vociferous serried columns attested the intensity of party spirit. Selma felt herself adept through her former experience, and she lost no opportunity to show herself in public and bear witness to her devotion to her husband's cause. It pleased her to think that the people recognized her when she appeared on the balcony or reviewing stand, and that her presence evoked an increase of enthusiasm. But the newspaper publicity was even more satisfying, for it centered attention unequivocally on her. Columns of descriptive matter relative to her husband's personality began to appear as soon as it became obvious that he was to be governor. These articles aimed to be exhaustive in their character, covering the entire scope of his past life, disclosing pitiless details in regard to his habits, tastes, and private concerns. Nothing which could be discovered or ferreted out was omitted, and most of these biographies were illuminated by a variety of more or less hideous cuts, showing, for example, his excellency as he looked as a schoolboy, his excellency as a fledgling attorney, the humble home where His Excellency was born, and His Excellency's present stately but hospitable residence on Benham's River Drive. Almost every newspaper in the state took its turn at contributing something which it conceived to be edifying to this reportorial budget. And after the governor came the turn of the governor's lady, as she was called. Emma liked best the articles devoted exclusively to herself, where she appeared as the special feature of the newspaper issue, not merely as an adjunct to her husband, but she liked them all, and she was most benignant in her reception of the several newspaper scribes, principally of her own sex, who sought an interview for the sake of copy. She withheld nothing in regard to her person, talents, household, or taste, which would, in her opinion, be effective in print. She had a photograph of herself taken in simple, domestic, matronly garb to supplement those which she already possessed, one of which revealed the magnificence of the attire she wore at the President's reception. Another portrayed Littleton's earnest bride, and still a fourth disclosed her as the wistful, aspiring schoolmistress on the threshold of womanhood. These, and the facts appropriate to them, she meted out to her biography from time to time, lubricating her amiable confidences with the assertion that both she and her husband felt that the people were entitled to be made familiar with the lives of their public representatives. As the result of her gracious behavior, her willingness to supply interesting details concerning herself, and her flattering tendency to become intimate on the spot with the reporters who visited her, the newspaper articles in most cases were in keeping with Selma's prepossessions. Those which pleased her most emphasized in the first place her intellectual gifts and literary talents, intimating delicately that she had refused brilliant offers for usefulness with her pen and on the lecture platform in order to become the wife of Congressman Lyons, to whom her counsel and high ideals of public service were a constant stimulus, emphasized in the second place her husband's and her own pious tastes and strong religious convictions 
to which their constant church attendance and the simple sanctity of their american home bore testimony emphasized in the third place reproducing ordinarily a sketch and cut of her drawing-room her great social gifts and graces which had made her a leader of society in the best sense of the word both in benham and in new york a few of the articles stated in judicious terms that she had been twice a widow only one of them set this forth in conspicuous and opprobrious terms her third husband our chief magistrate's wife's many marriages such was the unsympathetic alliterative heading of the malicious statement which appeared in an opposition organ it did no more than recall the fact that she had obtained a divorce from her first husband who had in his despair taken to drink and intimate that her second husband had not been altogether happy selma wept when she read the article she felt that it was cruel and uncalled for that it told only half the truth and traduced her before the american people she chose to conceive that it had been inspired by pauline and mrs hollett taylor neither of whom had sent her a word of congratulation on her promotion to be the governor's wife who but pauline knew that her marriage with littleton had not been completely harmonious who but mrs taylor or one of her set would have made the malice to insinuate that she had been merciless to babcock this one was libel in a long series of complimentary productions the representation of the family group was made complete by occasional references to the governor-elect's mother mother lyons the venerable parent of our chief magistrate altogether selma felt that the picture presented to the public was a truthful and inspiring record of pious and enterprising american life which showed to the community that its choice of a governor had been wise and was merited close upon the election in these eulogistic biographies came the inauguration with lyons eloquent address selma of course had special privileges a reserved gallery and the state house to which she issued cards of admission to friends of her own selection occupying in festal attire the centre of this conspicuous group she felt that she was the cynosure of every eye she perceived that she was constantly pointed out as the second personage of the occasion to the few legislators on the floor whom she already knew she took pains to bow from her seat with gracious cordiality intended from the outset to aid her husband by captivating his friends and conciliating the leaders of the opposition party on her way to and from the gallery she was joined by several members to each of whom she tried to convey subtly the impression that she purposed to take take an earnest interest in legislative affairs, and that her husband would be apt to consult her in regard to close questions. On the morning after the inauguration, she had the satisfaction of seeing her own portrait side by side with that of her husband on the front page of two newspapers, a flattering indication, as she believed, that the press already recognized her value, both as a helpmate to him and an ornament to the state. She took up her life as the governor's lady, feeling that her talents and eagerness to do good had finally prevailed, and that true happiness at last was in store for her. She was satisfied with her husband and recognized his righteous purpose and capacity as a statesman but she believed secretly that his rapid success was due in a large measure to her genius her prompting had inspired him to make a notable speech in his first congress her charms and clever conversation had magnetized mr elton so that he had seen fit to nominate him for governor a fresh impulse to her self-congratulation that virtue and ability were reaping their reward was given a few weeks later by the announcement which lyons read from the morning newspaper that the firm of williams and van horn had failed disastrously the circumstances attending their downfall were sensational it appeared that van horn the office partner who managed the finances had shot himself as the culmination of a series of fraudulent hypothecations of securities and misrepresentations to which it was claimed that williams was not a party 
The firm had been hopelessly insolvent for months, and had been forced to the wall at last by a futile effort on the part of Van Horn to redeem the situation by a final speculation on a large scale. It had failed owing to the continuation of the state of dry rot in the stock market, and utter ruin followed. The regret which Lyons entertained as he read aloud the tragic story was overshadowed in his mind by his own thankfulness that he had redeemed the bonds and settled his account with them before the crash came. He was so absorbed by his own emotions that he failed to note the triumphant tone of his wife's ejaculation of amazement. Failed? Williams and Van Horn failed? Oh, how did it happen? I always felt sure that they would fail sooner or later. Selma sat with tightly folded hands listening to the exciting narrative which Lyons read for her edification with the urbanely mournful emphasis of one who has had a narrow escape. He stopped in the course of it to relieve any solicitude which she might be feeling in regard to his dealings with the firm by the assertion that he had only two months previous closed out his account owing to the conviction that prudent investors were getting under cover. This assurance gave the episode a still more providential aspect in Selma's eyes. In the first flush of her gratitude that Flossie had been superbly rebuked for her frivolous existence, she had forgotten that they were her husband's brokers. Moreover, the lack of perturbation in his manner was not calculated to inspire alarm. But the news that Lyons had been shrewd enough to escape at the twelfth hour without a dollar's loss heightened the justice of the situation. She listened with throbbing pulses to the particulars. She could scarcely credit her senses that her irrepressible and light-hearted enemy had been confounded at last, confronted with bankruptcy and probable disgrace. She interrupted the reading to express her skepticism regarding the claim that Williams had no knowledge of the frauds. How could he be ignorant? He must have known. He must have bribed the reporters to put that in so as to arouse the sympathy of some of their fashionable friends. Van Horn is dead, and the lips of the dead are sealed. Selma spoke with the confidence born of bitterness. She was pleased with her acumen in discerning the true inwardness of the case. Her husband nodded with mournful acquiescence. It would seem, he said, as if he must have had an inkling at least of what was going on. Of course he had. Gregory Williams, with all his faults, was a wide-awake man. I always said that. Lyons completed the reading and murmured with a sigh, which was half pity, half grateful acknowledgment of his own good fortune. It's a bad piece of business. I'm glad I had the sense to act promptly. Selma was ruminating. Her steel-bright eyes shone with exultation. Her sense of righteousness was gratified and temporarily appeased. They'll have to sell their house, of course, and give up their horses and steam yacht. I don't see why it doesn't mean that Flossie and her husband must come down off their pedestal and begin over again. It follows, doesn't it, that the heartless set into which they have worm their way will drop them like hot coals. All these remarks were put by Selma in the slightly interrogative form as though she were courting any argument to the contrary, which could be adduced in order to knock it in the head. But Lyons saw no reason to differ from her verdict. It means necessarily great mortification for them and a curtailment of their present mode of life, he said. I am sorry for them. Sorry? Of course, James, it is distressing to hear that misfortune has befallen any person of one's acquaintance, and so far as Gregory Williams himself is concerned, I have no wish to see him punished, simply because he has been worldly and vainglorious. You thought him able in business way, and like to meet him, but as for her, Flossie, his wife, Selma continued, it would be sheer hypocrisy for me to assert that I am sorry for her. I should deem myself unworthy of being considered an earnest-minded American woman if I did not maintain that this disgrace which has befallen them is the logical and legitimate consequence of their godless lives, especially of her frivolity and presumptuous indifference to spiritual influences. That woman, James, is utterly hostile to the things of the spirit you have no conception. I have never told you because he was your friend, and I was willing to let bygones be bygones on the surface of your account. You have no conception of the cross her behavior became to me in New York. 
from almost the first moment we met i saw that we were far apart as the poles in our view of the responsibilities of life she sneered at everything which you and i reverence and she set her face against true progress and the spread of american principles she claimed to be my friend and to sympathize with my zeal for social truth yet all the time she was toadyingly secretly the people whose luxurious exclusiveness made me tremble sometimes for the future of our country she and her husband were prosperous and everything he touched seemed to turn to gold it may sound irreverent james but there was a time during my life in new york when i was discouraged when it seemed as though heaven were mocking me and my husband in our homely struggle against the forces of evil and bestowing all his favors on a woman whose example was a menace to american womanhood sorry why should i be sorry to see triumph and shallow iniquity rebuked i would give florence williams money if she is in want but i am thankful very thankful that her heartless vanity has found its proper reward lyons fingered his beard i didn't know she was as bad as that selma now that they have come to grief we are not likely to be brought in contact with them and in all probability they will pass out of our lives williams was smart and entertaining but i never liked his taking advantage of the circumstances of my having an account in his office to urge me to support a measure at variance with my political convictions precisely the trouble with them both james is that they have no conscience and it is eminently just that they should be made to realize that people who lack conscience cannot prosper in this country in the long run they have loosed the awful lightnings of his terrible swift sword i say amen to that assuredly selma lyons answered his predilection to palliate unequivocal circumstance was never proof against clear evidence of moral delinquency when his religious scruples were finally offended he was grave and unrelenting the downfall of the williamses continued to be a sweet solace and source of encouragement to selma it made her when taken in conjunction with her own recent progress feel that the whirligig of time was working in her behalf after all and that if she persevered not merely flossy but all those who worship mammon and consequently fail to recognize her talents would be made to bite the dust at the moment these enemies seemed to have infested benham numerically speaking they were unimportant but they had established an irritating irregular skirmish line one end of which occupied wetmore college another held secret midnight meetings at mrs hallett taylor's rumors of various undertakings educational semi-political artistic or philanthropic agitated or directed by this fringe of society came to her ears from time to time but she heard them as an outsider when she became the governor's wife she had said to herself that now these aristocrats would be compelled to admit her to their councils but she found to her annoyance that the election made no difference neither pauline nor mrs taylor nor any of the coterie had asked her to join them and she was unpleasantly conscious that there were people on the river drive who showed no more desire to make her acquaintance than when she had been mrs lewis babcock what did this mean it meant simply she began to argue that she must hold fast to her faith and bide her time that if she and her friends kept a bold front and resisted the encroachments of this pernicious spirit providence would interfere presently and confound these enemies of social truth no less obviously than it had already overwhelmed mrs gregory williams as the wife of the governor she was clearly in a position to maintain this bold front effectively every mail brought to her requests for her support and the sanction of her signature to social or charitable enterprises her hospital was flourishing along the lines of the policy which she had indicated and was feeling the advantage of her political prosperity she was able to give the petition in behalf of mrs hamilton which contained now twenty-five thousand signatures fresh value and solemnity by means of an autographed letter from the governor's wife countersigned by the governor this with the bulky list of petitioners she addressed and dispatched directly to queen victoria her presence was in constant demand at all sorts of functions at many of which she had the opportunity to make a few remarks to express the welcome of the state 
or to utter words of sympathy and encouragement to those who assembled. In the second month of her husband's administration, she had the satisfaction of greeting in her double capacity as newly elected president of the Benham Institute and wife of the governor, the Federation of Women's Clubs of the United States, on the occasion of its annual meeting at Benham. This federation was the incorporated fruit of the Congress of Women's Clubs, which Selma had attended as a delegate just previous to her divorce from Babcock, and she could not refrain from some exultation at the progress she had made since then, as she sat wielding the gavel over the body of women delegates from every state in the Union. The meeting lasted three days. Literary exercises alternated with excursions to points of interest in the neighborhood, at all of which she was in authority, and the celebration was brought to a brilliant close by a banquet to which men were invited. As this Selma acted as toastmaster, introducing the speakers of the occasion, which included her own husband. Lyons made a graceful allusion to her stimulating influences as a helpmate and her executive capacity, which elicited loud applause. Succeeding this meeting of the Federation of Women's Clubs came a series of semi-public festivities under the patronage of women, philanthropic, literary, or social in character for the fever to perpetuate in club form every congregation of free-born citizens except on election day had seized benham in common with the other cities of the country in its grasp to each of which the governor's wife was invited as the principal guest of honor selma thus found a dozen opportunities to exhibit herself to a large audience and testify to her faith in democratic institutions on the twenty second of february washington's birthday she held a reception at their house on river drive for which cards had been issued a fortnight previous she pathetically explained to the reporters that had the dimensions and resources of her establishment permitted she and the governor would simply have announced themselves at home to the community at large that they would have preferred this but of course it would never do the people would not be pleased to see a rabble confound the hospitality of the chief magistrate and his wife the people demanded proper dignity from their representatives in office the list of invitations which selma sent out however was comprehensive she aimed to invite every one of social public commercial or political importance a full band was in attendance and a liberal collation was served selma confided to some of her guests who she thought might criticize the absence of wine that she had felt obliged out of consideration for her husband's political prospects to avoid wounding the feelings of total abstainers the entertainment lasted from four to seven and the three hours of handshaking provided a delicious experience to the hostess she gloried in the consciousness that this crush of citizens representing the leaders of the community in the widest sense had been assembled by her social gift and that they had come to offer their admiring homage to the clever wife of their governor it gratified her to think that pauline and mrs taylor and the people of that class to all of whom she had sent cards should behold her as the first lady of the state and mistress of a beautiful home dispensing hospitality on broad democratic lines to an admiring constituency when mr horace elton approached selma perpetrated a little device which she had planned as they were in the act of shaking hands a very handsome rose fell seemingly by chance from the bouquet which she carried he picked it up and tendered it to her but selma made him keep it adding in a lower tone it is your due for the gallant friendship you have shown me and my husband she felt as though she were a queen bestowing a guerdon on a favorite minister and yet a woman rewarding in a woman's way an admirer's devotion she meant elton to appreciate that she understood that his interest in lyons was largely due to his partiality for her it seemed to her that she could recognize to this extent his chivalrous conduct without smirching her blameless record as an american wife meantime the governor was performing his public duties with becoming dignity and without much mental friction the legislature was engaged in digesting the batch of miscellaneous business presented for its consideration among which was elton's 
gas consolidation bill. Already the measure had encountered some opposition in committee, but Lyons was led to believe that the bill would be passed by a large majority, and that its opponents would be conciliated before his signature was required. Lyons's reputation as an orator had been extended by his term in the House of Representatives and his recent active campaign, and he was in receipt of a number of invitations from various parts of the country to address august bodies in other states, all of which were declined. But when in the month of April opportunity was afforded him to deliver a speech on patriotic issues, on the anniversary of the Battle of Lexington, he decided, with Selma's approval, to accept the invitation. He reasoned that a short respite from the cares of office would be agreeable. She was attracted by the glamour of revisiting New York as a woman of note. New York had refused to recognize her superiority and to do her homage, and New York should realize her present status. And what a mistake had been made! The speech was a success, and the program provided for the entertainment of the orator and his wife included the hospitality of several private houses. Selma felt that she could afford to hold her head high, and not to thaw too readily for the benefit of a society which had failed to appreciate her worth when it had the chance. She was the wife now of one of the leading public men of the nation, and in a position to set fashions not to ask favors. Nevertheless, she chose on the evening before the return of Benham to show herself at dinner at Delmonico's just to let the world of so-called fashion perceive her and ask who she was. There would doubtless be people there who knew her by sight, and who, when they were told that she was now the wife of Governor Lyons, would regret, if not be ashamed, of their short-sightedness and snobbery. She wore a striking dress. She encouraged her husband's willingness to order an elaborate dinner, including champagne, for they were in a champagne country. And she exhibited a sprightly mood, looking about her with a knowing air in observation of the other occupants of the dining room. While she was thus engaged, the entrance of a party of six, whom the head waiter conducted with a show of attention to a table which had evidently been reserved for them, fettered Selma's attention. She stared, unable to believe her eyes then flushed and looked indignant. Her attention remained riveted on this party while they laid aside their wraps and seated themselves. Struck by the annoyed intensity of his wife's expression, Lyons turned to follow the direction of her gaze. "'What is the matter?' he said. For a few moments Selma sat silent with compressed lips intent on her scrutiny. "'It's an outrage on decency,' she murmured at last. "'How dare she show herself here and entertain those people? Of whom are you talking, Selma? The Williamses, Flossie Williams and her husband.' The two couples with them live on Fifth Avenue, and used to be among her exclusive friends. Her husband has just ordered the dinner. I saw him give the directions to the waiter. It is monstrous that they, who only a few months ago failed disgracefully, and were supposed to have lost everything, should be going on exactly as if nothing had happened. People in New York have the faculty of taking on their feet again quickly, after financial reverses, said Lyons mildly. Like as not, some of Williams's friends have enabled him to make a fresh start. So it seems, Selma answered sternly. She sat back in her chair with a discouraged air and neglected her truffled chicken. It isn't right. It isn't decent. Lyons was puzzled by her demeanor. Why should you care what they do, he asked. We can easily avoid them for the future. Because, because, James Lyons, I can't bear to see godless people triumph. Because it offends me to see a man and a woman who are practically penniless through their own evil courses, and should be discredited everywhere, able to resume their life of vanity and extravagance, without protest. While she was speaking, Selma suddenly became aware that her eyes had met those of Dr. George Page, who was passing their table on his way out. Recognition on both sides came at the same moment, and Selma turned in her chair to greet him, cutting off any hope which he may have had of passing unobserved. 
She was glad of the opportunity to show the company that she was on familiar terms with a man so well known, and she had on her tongue what she regarded as a piece of banter quite in keeping with his usual vein. How do you do, Dr. Page? We haven't met for a long time. You do not know my husband, Governor Lyons, I think. Dr. Page used to be our family physician when I lived in New York, James. Everyone here knows that he has a very large practice. Selma was disposed to be gracious and sprightly, for she felt that Dr. Page must surely be impressed by her appearance of prosperity. I had heard of your marriage and of your husband's election. I congratulate you. Are you living in Benham, I believe, far from this hurly-burly? Yes, a little bird told me the other day that a no less distinguished person than Dr. Page had been seen in Benham twice during the last three months. Of course, a governor's wife is supposed to know everything which goes on, and for certain reasons I was very much interested to hear this bit of news. I am a very discreet woman, doctor. It shall go no further. The physician's broad bow contracted slightly, but his habitual self-control concealed completely the inclination to strangle his bright-eyed, overdressed inquisitor. He was the last man to shirk the vicissitudes of playful speech, and he preferred this mood of Selma's to her solemn style, although his privacy was invaded. I should have remembered, he said, that there is nothing in the world which Mrs. Lyons does not know by intuition, including the management of a hospital, Dr. Page. Perhaps you don't know that I am managing trustee of a very large hospital. Yes, I was informed of that in Benham. I should scarcely venture to tell you what my little bird said. It was an old fogey of a bird with a partiality for thorough investigation and scientific method and a thorough distrust of the results of the offhand inspiration of the treatment of disease, I dare say. But we are succeeding splendidly. The next time you come to Benham, you must come to see me and I will take you over to our hospital. I don't despair yet of converting you to our side, just as you evidently don't despair of inducing a certain lady some day to change her mind. I, for one, think that she is more fitted by nature to be a wife than a college president, so I shall await with interest more news from my little bird. Selma felt that she was talking to a greater advantage than almost ever before. Her last remark banished every trace of a smile from her adversary's face, and he stood regarding her with a preternatural gravity, which should have been appalling, but which she welcomed as a sign of serious feeling on his part. She felt, too, that, at last, she had got the better of the ironical doctor and repartee, and that he was taking his leave tongue-tied. In truth, he was so angry that he did not trust himself to speak. He simply glared and departed. Poor fellow, she said by way of explanation to Lyons. I suppose his emotion got the better of him because he has loved her for so long. That was the Dr. Page who has been crazy for years to marry Pauline Littleton. When he was young, he married a woman of doubtful character who ran away from him. I used to think that Pauline was right in refusing to sacrifice her life for his sake. But he has been very constant, and I doubt if she has originality enough to keep her position as president of Wetmore long. He belongs to the old school of medicine. It was he who took care of Wilbur when he died. I fancy that case may have taught him not to mistrust truth merely because it isn't labeled. But I bear him no malice because I know he meant to do his best. They are just suited for each other, and I shall be on his side after this. The interest of this episode served to restore somewhat Selma's serenity, but she kept her attention fixed on the table where the Williamses were sitting, observing with a sense of injury their gay behavior. To all appearances, Flossy was as light-hearted and volatile as ever. Her attire was in the height of fashion. Had adversary taught her nothing? Had the buffet of providence failed utterly to sober her frivolous spirit? It seemed to Selma that there could be no other conclusion, and though she and Lyons had finished dinner, she was unable to take her eyes off the culprits, or to cease to wonder how it was possible for people with nothing to continue to live as though they had everything. Her moral nature was stirred to resentment, and she sat spellbound, seeking in vain for a point of consolation. Meantime, Lyons, like a good American, had sent for an evening paper, and was deep in its perusal. 
A startled ejaculation from him aroused Selma from her nightmare. Her husband was saying to her across the table, "'My dear, Senator Calkins is dead.' He spoke in a solemn, excited whisper. "'Our Senator Calkins?' "'Yes. This is the dispatch from Washington. United States Senator Calkins dropped dead suddenly in the lobby of the Senate chamber at ten o'clock this morning while talking with friends. His age was fifty-two. The cause of his death was heart failure. His decease has cast a gloom over the Capitol, and the Senate adjourned promptly, out of respect to the memory of the departed statesman. "'What a dreadful thing!' Selma murmured. The ways of providence are inscrutable, said Lyons. No one could have foreseen this public calamity. He poured out a glass of ice water and drank it feverishly. It's fortunate we have everything arranged to return tomorrow, for of course you will be needed at home. Yes. Waiter, bring me a telegram. What are you going to do? Communicate to Mrs. Calkins our sympathy on account of the death of her distinguished husband. That will be nice, said Selma. She sat for some moments in silence, observing her husband, and spellbound by the pleasant possibility which presented itself. She knew that Lyon's gravity and agitation were not wholly due to the shock of the catastrophe. He, like herself, must be conscious that he might become the dead senator's successor. He poured out and drained another goblet of ice water. Twice he drew himself up slightly and looked around the room with the expression habitual to him when about to deliver a public address. Selma's veins were tingling with excitement. Providence had interfered in her behalf again. As the wife of a United States senator, everything would be within her grasp. James, she said, we are the last persons in the world to fail in respect to the illustrious dead, but of course you ought to have Senator Calkins's place. Lyons looked at his wife, and his large lips trembled. If the people of my state, Selma, feel that I am the most suitable man for the vacant senatorship, I shall be proud to serve them. Selma nodded appreciatively. She was glad that her husband should approach the situation with a solemn sense of responsibility. They are sure to feel that, she said. It seems to me that you are practically certain of the party's nomination, and your party has a clear majority of both branches of the legislature. Lyons glanced furtively about him before he spoke. I don't see at the moment, Selma, how they could defeat me. End of chapter 27